Welcome to About Scripture, a podcast designed to take the listener deeper into Scripture and biblical thought. I'm Ed Gallagher, Professor of Christian Scripture at Heritage Christian University. I hope to cover a variety of topics with you about Scripture. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Heritage Christian University, where we help students to thrive in ministry. To find out more, go to hcu.edu. We're also partnering with the Ministry League Network. They have free resources to help the local church all over the world. Download the app in the iOS or Play Store, or check out the website at ministryleague.com. And now, welcome to the podcast. As kids, younger kids than you are, did you ever used to do that uh, thing with your hands where you'd, how did it go? Here is the church, here is the steeple, look inside and... There's all the people. Y'all, y'all still do that? I, I remember doing that as a kid. No? <laughs> Some of you, no, you're shaking your head, never seen that. Let me do it again to teach you this thing then. All right, you put your fingers inside like that. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Look inside. There's all the people. That's sort of fun, right? <laughs> now you have something to teach your kids. What's the problem with that theologically? Here is the church, and you look inside the church, and you see the people. Well, at the same time that I would do that, I would hear frequently, the word church does not refer to the building, it refers to the people. So maybe at times, and you might want to correct this theologically for your kids, you know, here is the church building. It doesn't quite ring as nicely, but here is the church building and here is the steeple. And of course, we probably don't have steeples on our church buildings, but, and then you look inside the church building and you see the church. It's not, you might want to just, yeah, forget everything I just said, because it's not worth learning in that case. But actually... What does the word church mean? The word church, now I'm talking about the English word church, is a derivative of a Germanic term. Okay? Do you, do you realize that English is a Germanic language? English is not a Romance language. English has not descended from Latin. English has descended from Germanic languages. Think, I mean, the the very reason it's named English is because it comes from the Angles, Anglo Saxons, the inhabitants of Angleland, England, you know, pre 1000. So the Angles and the Saxons, Germanic tribes. Now, of course, uh, the Norman conquest brought in French and Latin influence into those tribes so that the Anglish had a lot of influence from Latin vocabulary. So a lot of our vocabulary comes from Latin because of what happened in 1066, William the Conqueror, the Norman Conquest. And actually for the next 200 years after the Norman Conquest, like the official language of state business in England was French. So French 
influenced England in vocabulary quite a bit, but English is not basically a Romance language, not basically descended from Latin. It is a Germanic language, and so a lot of our vocabulary and the structure of our language and such goes back to Germanic languages. The word church is this. goes back to the, the... If you know anything about the word church in other languages, I mean, just think about what it is uh, in other languages. It's what Iglesia, Eglise in French. It's, well, what is it in Greek? Most of y'all probably already know this, right? What is it in Greek? Ecclesia. Most languages, and what is it in Latin? Ecclesia also. They just took over the Greek. Most languages that I know about their word for church is a direct descendant of the Greek term for church, right? That's, a lot of you would probably know the Spanish term for church. You can see the direct connection, the French word for church, the direct connection. Not so in English. Ecclesia and the word church don't sound at all alike because the word church is not descended from the term ecclesia. It comes from the Germanic languages. In German, the word church, do you all know this? It's Kirche, Kirche. You can see the, the connection, church, Kirche. Not the same, but it's close. Ah, uh, but where did the term Kirche come from? Now, it does derive from a Greek word. I said it come, our term church comes through German, but it actually goes back before the German to a Greek term. The Germanic tribes heard a Greek term and they adopted it. It wasn't the term ecclesia. It was the term kuriakon. Kuriakon. Do you all know the term kurios? It means Lord. Kuriakos is used a couple of times in the New Testament. It means lordly. Right? We, uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, the lordly supper. And John on Patmos said that he was in the spirit on the lordly day. Those are the two times that particular adjective is used in the New Testament. It means lordly. In the 4th century, Christians started using that term for their church buildings. They called the church buildings the lordly building, Kuriaka. For example, Eusebius, Ecclesiastical History, Book 9, Chapter 9, Paragraph 10. And permission has also been granted them to build the Lord's houses. I'm reading the Loeb translation. The nice thing about the lobe is that the English is on one side and the Greek is on the other. So you can just look right across and see the Greek. The Greek is kuriaka, and then a word for houses, oikeia. Okay? The lordly houses. But then you look down to paragraph 12, and Eusebius says this. Uh, I'll just pick up in the middle of a sentence. The context might not make sense, but it doesn't matter. As if they were godless and wicked. These he now allows both to observe their form of worship and to build churches. And the Greek word, it's just the plain word kuriaka. 
It, there's no word for houses. There's no word for buildings. It's just kuriaka, which shows you that in the fourth century, the Greek term kuriakon, or the plural kuriaka, was used to describe the building. And the Germanic tribes in the fourth century heard that term, kuriaka, describing the building, and they brought it into German, kirke, which came into English as church. And so, actually, originally, the word church did describe the building and not the people. It was only later that the term came, I'm talking about the English term now, that the term came to describe the people in the church. That's just a little history lesson for English. It's sort of irrelevant to how we think about the term church because our theology of the church, ecclesiology is the uh, fancy term, as the very term ecclesiology tells you, derives not from the word church but from the Greek term ekklesia. Right, so in our Bibles, when we see the word church, I would say every single time, I think I can say that, every single time. No, I don't want to say that. Depends on what Bible you're using. If I, th- I think there are older translations that put the word church in the Old Testament, where it would be a translation of some Hebrew term that we could talk about it in another. But certainly when you, when you see the word church in the New Testament, every single time it's going to be a translation of the Greek term, not kuriakon, but the term ekklesia. So if we're going to think about what theologically the term church ought to mean to us, we need to think about the term ekklesia and how it's used in the New Testament. And it's used in a variety of ways. And it may be that we come to the conclusion that the word church is actually not a very good representation. I'm not telling you not to use the word church. I'm thinking you might want to think about it. What does the term church in English mean? Well, if we push it, and it it really has to be pushed, if we push it, it means the people of God. But is that the way the term church is used in America in the 21st century, for instance, or other places? I think a lot of times it is used for the building, or even worse, for some sort of institutional hierarchy. And you could think about, and a lot of people do think this, about the term church itself is this oppressive institution that just wants to hold on to power. Maybe the term church is not serving us well, but the point of my talking here is not to get you to use some other word, but to get you to think about the term ecclesia and how is it used. In the New Testament, the term ecclesia is used 114 times. Paul uses it far more than other writers, 62 times in the letters of Paul, though it also appears frequently in Acts, 23 times, and Revelation, 20 times. And in the rest of the New Testament, the word ecclesia doesn't appear very much at all, 
you know it, it hardly ever appears in the Gospels. Um, three times in the Gospel of Matthew and then not at all in the rest of the Gospels. In the book of Hebrews, it only appears twice. In James, it appears once. And then in Third John, it appears three times. And that's it for the entire New Testament. So it's mostly in Paul and then uh, Acts and Revelation and then just a little bit in other places. How should we translate it? I've already suggested to you that maybe the term church is not the best way of thinking about it because the term church might have all kinds of English baggage that we might not want people to be thinking when they hear about the people of God. This is not a 21st century proposal. This is a 16th century proposal. Do you know the name William Tyndall? The first guy to translate the Bible into English from the original languages. He didn't, he died before he could finish the Bible, but he did translate the entire New Testament. He did not one time use the word church. The word church was the standard way in the time of William Tyndall, who uh, died, what was it, 1536? It was the standard way to translate the word ecclesia in his time. But for Tyndall, the word church meant all the things I've already said, this oppressive hierarchy that wants to you know, get rid of dissent and just wants to hold on to power and all kinds of other things that he didn't want to put into his New Testament. So Tyndall used the word congregation. Every single time the word ecclesia appeared in the New Testament, he used the term congregation. Tyndall was pretty smart. I think that's a pretty good way of thinking about the word ecclesia. It does not have the baggage that the term church does have. But maybe congregation doesn't always work either. Tyndall used it, I believe, every single time. Even sometimes when it didn't quite work for probably the concept that Paul was trying to get across or or other writers. After all, if you use the term congregation, at least, I mean, words are what we make of them, right? We are the ones who define what words mean by the way we use them. So maybe you have a different thought in your head about congregation than I do, but I tend to think of congregation means people who congregate. And if they're not congregating, you can't really call it a congregation. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you can call it a congregation even if they are not congregating at this very moment, but they do sometimes congregate. Maybe once they have stopped congregating and they have gone off to Walmart and Chick-fil-A and their other, well, you can't go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, but uh, other places, whatever it is, uh, maybe, maybe you could still call it a congregation, I guess, because they have just been congregating. But what if it's people who could not possibly ever congregate because they're scattered across the world? I'm not sure if I would call that a congregation. It just doesn't quite speak to me of, it doesn't, it's a weird use of the term, I think. The, the exact same problem with the term assembly. I'm, I'm illustrating to you the ways in which the term ecclesia is used in the New Testament. The term ecclesia is not first attested in the New Testament. In fact, it goes back to ancient Greece, and they would have these ecclesias in Athens, for instance. 
and they were assemblies. And a good basic way of thinking about the term ecclesia is assembly, which is the same thing as congregation in my mind. But in ancient Athens, they would have an ecclesia, and they would call together the citizens, and they would come together into a meeting, an assembly, and they would vote on something. And once the vote was taken or the meeting was over, they would break up, and it was no longer an ecclesia. It wasn't It wasn't like these people that sometimes met together were always called an ecclesia, whether they were together or not. No, that's not the way the word was used in ancient Athens. The way the word was used in ancient Athens was that when they were together, they were an ecclesia, and once they were no longer together, they're not an ecclesia anymore. They're not a congregation. They're not an assembly. The assembly has broken up. Probably, well, I would say definitely, that usage is found in the New Testament at times. Do you know that uh, there are times in the New Testament where the term ecclesia, such as in Acts 19, does not mean a group of Christians, but means like a mob, uh, people who come together, who assemble for the purpose of sometimes doing rather negative things. Luke, in Acts 19, calls the people, Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Those people have come together. They form an assembly. They are an ecclesia. They're not the ecclesia of Christ, of course, but they are an assembly. But once they stop rioting and forming the mob, once they break up, well, they're not an ecclesia anymore. It also is probable that that kind of term, that they are they're an ecclesia as long as they are together, is also used of the Christians on occasion that, that it stands for an actual meeting of Christians. Let me give you some examples. First, I'm not going to read these, but I'll just read off the, the references. 1 Corinthians 11, 18, 14, 19, 1428, 1434, 1435, where the term ecclesia seems to mean an actual meeting of Christians. But it also, the term ecclesia in the New Testament also refers to people that sometimes meet together, but aren't necessarily meeting together right now. So I don't know if assembly would be the right way of thinking about that, but people who sometimes assemble. Let me give you an example. Romans 16.1. That's the Phoebe verse. Remember what Paul calls Phoebe? Usually we focus on the word diakonos, right? Is she a deacon? Is she a servant? Is she a minister? How should we translate that particular word? Whatever she is, I'll call her a servant right now. Phoebe, Paul says to the church in Rome, Phoebe is a servant of the ecclesia in Centria. A servant of the church, a servant of the, should we call it an assembly in Centria? But they're probably not assembling at this very moment. Congregation, that probably works pretty well. Sometimes in the New Testament, the word ecclesia refers to people who are meeting right now. Sometimes it refers to people who sometimes meet together. And sometimes it refers to people who cannot possibly ever meet together because they are scattered around the world. Think about the uses of the term church, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 1, where Christ is the head of the church. What kind of 
ecclesia are we thinking about in that instance? We're not thinking about a local congregation, although, yes, of course, Christ is the head of the local congregation. We're thinking about all Christians scattered throughout the world, aren't we? Christ is the head of the universal church. Those are people, like I say, who cannot possibly meet together. Certainly not regularly or really ever. You're not going to get all Christians scattered throughout the world at any given time together in the same place. And so I'm not sure if assembly works for that. I'm not sure that congregation works for that. I think maybe our only term that really gets at that is the term church. Let me tell you something that church does not mean. It does not mean called out. The term ecclesia does not mean called out. I know you like to say that it does, but it doesn't. That's not what it means. Now, the etymology of the term ecclesia. You can break down the term ecclesia and you can see the ek out. And you can see the klesia from kaleo to call. And so you could see how it could maybe get there. And certainly it is true that Christians are supposed to be a people not of this world. Think Romans 12, be not conformed to this world. Certainly that is true. But we don't get that truth from the etymology of the term ecclesia. And the reason that people in the New Testament use the term ecclesia to describe the people of God is not because the term means called out. That is a fallacy that we think of as the, uh, we can call the etymological fallacy. You can see it all kinds of ways um, that, um, you know, a driveway is not the place where you drive. The parkway is not the place that you park, right? You can break the words down and you can see, oh, well, the parkway is the place where you should park. Well, of course, that's not the way, what the word parkway means. How do we know that? Because we don't use it for a place where you park. Even though if you break the word apart, it sort of might make you think that. Why did the people in the New Testament use the term ecclesia? It wasn't because it means called out, even though that does get at a truth about the Christian life. Why did they use the term? I, I like to look at two particular passages, and I'm going to do it quickly or think about them with you very quickly. Uh, and I think it will help us understand what the term ecclesia in the New Testament is really trying to get at. Why that particular word? And it happens to be the two times that the word is used in the Gospel of Matthew. I mentioned earlier that the word is actually used three times in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's two different passages. It's used once in Matthew 16, and it's used twice in Matthew 18. Do you remember those two contexts? Probably you do, because they're really, really famous. Matthew 16 is the passage where... Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi. Who do, who do people say that I am? They give their answers. Who do you say that I am? Peter gives his answer. Jesus responds, good job, Peter. You got it right. And on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Now, what I notice in that particular passage is that the apostles did not stop Jesus and say, what's that you say? You'll build your what? What is that thing? They knew precisely what an ecclesia was. 
And why is that? Because they read about it in their Old Testaments. We don't read about church, usually, depending on the translation we're using. We don't read about church in our Old Testaments, but they did read about it in their Old Testaments. And the point I'm trying to make now is that the word ecclesia appears a hundred times in the Septuagint. Probably in your English Bible, it appears not one single time. But in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it appears a hundred times. What did it mean in the Old Testament? It meant the assembly of Israel. It had to do with the congregation of God, the people dedicated to God. Why does Jesus use that term in Matthew 16? Because it was a term very familiar to everyone who heard it, unlike the term church, where if you read your English Bible, the very first time you'll encounter the word church is in Matthew 16. But if you're reading the Greek Bible, the first time you encounter the word ecclesia is, I think, in Deuteronomy. And it appears a hundred times in the Old Testament. So why does Jesus use that term? Because it is a common term in Jewish scripture to describe the people of God. And what did it mean? It meant the community. The community of people dedicated to God. In fact, there were two terms. I think this, this is bonus information. This is sort of interesting. There were two terms used in the, in the Septuagint for the people of God, for the community of God. Do you know what the other term was that was used even more commonly? Sunagoge. But probably Jesus didn't use the term sunagoge because that already had different connotations. And if you don't know what those connotations are, say the word slowly to yourself and you'll figure it out. All right, but... So Jesus picked the other term that was very common in Jewish scripture for his followers. He's connecting it to the Old Testament. He's connecting it to the people of God who have been chosen by God to represent him in this world, the community of God's people. We get a nuance to that in the second passage used by, used in the that the second passage in Matthew that uses the term ecclesia, and that's, of course, Matthew 18, verses 15 and following, where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you remember how that one goes? If your brother sins against you, you want to go to your brother, you want to take somebody along, and if you won't listen to either of those, at either of those times, what do you do? You tell it to the ecclesia. You tell it to the assembly, you tell it to the congregation, you tell it to the community. And what is that supposed to do? What effect is that supposed to have? Well, if he won't even listen to the community, you remember in the Old Testament, you you often have these punishments like he will be cut off from the assembly of Israel. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 also. And what does that indicate to us? It indicates to us that the term community is a good way of thinking about the ecclesia because it implies that there is a responsibility among the people in the ecclesia. They have a responsibility for one another. That it's not just a a, a social club where you get together and have a good time, sort of a good time, for a couple hours a week, but you get together to be involved in people's lives, 
not just a couple hours a week. And you're concerned for the well-being, for the spiritual well-being of the other members of that community. I think Jesus teaches us in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 why he uses this term ecclesia. It indicates to us the communal nature of our lives with God. Thank you.